Hey everyone, and welcome to the South Carolina Grower Exchange Podcast. Every week, agents, specialists, and growers from around the state chat about what's happening in the field and discuss the latest crop weather, insect, disease, and weed issues, as well as timely reminders and information related to fruit and vegetable production in South Carolina. Remember, you can read weekly field updates and register for upcoming events by visiting the SC Grower blog at scgrower.com. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the South Carolina Grower Exchange. We're glad that you took some time to listen to what we had to report on today. So we've got several agents on with us this morning, um, and we've also got, I'll call, I'll call him a special guest. I'll introduce him later just to set him up, make him nervous for participating today. Um, but we do have our vegetable and strawberry entomologist also with us. So we're just going to go around and give some updates of what's happening out in the field for everybody. I'll go ahead and start with the Edgefield, Aiken area, the ridge. Um, probably the biggest thing that we have going on right now is keeping an eye on our chill hours that we're accumulating. We typically calculate those through uh, February 15th. So um, this this week and between now and Wednesday, it doesn't look like we're going to get terribly cold weather. Um, so we're, we're probably where we're going to be for the year. So depending on what models you look at and what weather stations you look at, we are um, close to 800 hours. We're not quite there yet. So we are a little bit behind on our chill hours compared to like last year. Um, and if you look at a 30-year model, um, we're just a couple uh, hours off from that as well. So what that means, what growers can kind of look out for, any of the varieties that we have that are 800 chill requirement or higher um, could potentially see a reduced crop. Um, there's not a lot we can do as far as, um, there's not a lot we can do at this point, except for, I guess, uh, wait as long as you can to prune. I, I know a lot of larger growers don't have as much option with that just because they have a lot of acreage to get through. But, um, if you can put off pruning as long as you can, especially on some of those smaller interior portions of the trees um, because those are the more protected areas. So if we do also get a late freeze, once those blooms are open, they'll have a little more protection. So that's kind of the best bet. If you have any 1,000 chill hours or higher, um, you still might have enough time to put out um, Dormex, but we don't have a lot of those varieties in our area just because we do have trouble accumulating chill. Um, so really just the pruning is the best thing that you can do right now. We have buds moving in the area. Um, I drove by some fields today of Caro Red was the variety, and those are already starting to starting to move pretty quick and open up. Of course, they were pruned, so that pushes them, but we've had some warmer temperatures um, the past week or so, and um, those buds are really going to start to move. So now we'll be on watch for those late freezes and um, maybe in a, about a month or so we'll have a better indication of what the crop's going to look like. 
trees are still being planted. Um, it's late. So we're hoping that we get those planted really soon. Um, but late shipments and then kind of really muddy field conditions have put a halt on a lot of that kind of work. So still pruning. Um, hopefully everybody's wrapped up with their second um, dormant oil applications. And we're going to start looking into our orchard floor management protocol. That's about what we've got going on as far as peaches are concerned. Um, Justin, how about what's happening in your area, the Midlands? Hey, Sarah. Uh, well, we've gotten a ton of rain over the last weekend. Uh, we got about two and a half inches on average around the Midlands. I uh, looked at our weather station in Lexington earlier this morning, and for the year, we're at almost 12 inches of rain. Uh, so we're way ahead of where we were this time last year. Uh, we've had fairly mild weather uh, other than the rain here in the Midlands. Uh, we've got some strawberries blooming, and uh, folks have already started talking about protecting blooms, though we haven't had much frost to protect blooms from. So I'm thinking we're going to have a fairly early picking season this year, and maybe by the second or third week of March, we'll probably have some berries to pick. Uh, we are still seeing a lot of leaf spot from pneumonia or neopest, uh, so be sure to send those samples to the lab so we can distinguish which one it is. And then also sanitize those leaves from the plant. That'll be super important once we get into bloom and then into picking. Uh, but that's about it for now. All right. Thank you, Justin. Uh, Zach, how about your area? Um, sad to say, but I've not been out in the field very much because every time I get ready to go, it seems like it drops another inch or two of rain. Weird soggy 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 here um but um from what i hear and, and the reports that i'm getting from growers um strawberries are pushing along pretty nice i had one grower said he's already picking a little bit uh you know just some early berries right now um and his plants are covered with bloom so with all this rain and, and you know the heavy dews that we've had lately um it's going to be really important that we spray to protect uh the berries from gray mold and and um, anthracnose, especially this early in the season. You know, if, if we got conducive weather now, uh, it's a long season. So I'm a little worried about that. We can't really get in the fields right now because it's so wet to spray. So anyway, um, might have to get creative there and maybe backpack it or something. I don't know. Um, because of all the rain and the wetness and everything, I'm um, getting a lot of reports of Phytophthora uh, root rot on strawberries. Um, and just know that, you know, you can spray Ritamil, Arondas, um, or any of the potassium phosphite products like K-Fite or Profite. Um, I'm a big fan of spraying them versus running them through the drip. You know, the roots are already saturated. Um, and I know that if I spray them, that it's going to be um, in the plant and taken up systemically. So um, I'm recommending that for folks and maybe doing a reapplication um, after about 10 or 14 days. Um, and just hope things dry out for a little while. But um, like Justin said, you know, some folks are covering uh, or, or have planned to cover in, in frost events to protect blooms. Um, I will encourage folks to get out boron um, right now because boron is going to help that fruit and flower development. That way we don't have real ugly looking strawberries 
um, in about a month from now. We want to make sure that we got pretty picturesque strawberries when people come out to pick the first strawberries of the season. So other than that, that's about it. I'm just really hoping it dries out so we can go stretch our legs in the field this week. Yeah, that's – everybody's soppy. Everybody's got their muck boots out and ready to go. I know I've tracked more mud in the office in the past two weeks than I have in the past two years, and I have to apologize daily. And, Zach, I'll make mention just because you talked about spraying um, as opposed to running through the drip. And um, I was talking with a grower the other week that – I guess question that, but I guess I'll, I think the point of that was we are so absolutely wet that those roots are not, they're saturated. They're not going to take up what they need to take up. So that's one of the main reasons why spraying for good coverage, but also those roots are just swimming right now. They're not going to take up what they need to take up. Um, all right. Well, Bruce, what have you got going on in PD? Hey, Sarah. Uh, yeah, bye bye, Justin and uh, and Zach. Is uh, you know, we're wet. Uh, yeah, I was looking at the uh, at the weather station there in um, in Loris, and it was showing three and a quarter from uh, this weekend. So you know, it's uh, there's a lot of a lot of water standing in fields, and it's um, you know, just to reiterate what uh, what Zach had mentioned, you know, phytophthora definitely is a yeah is an issue in in wet con, uh, wet conditions like this so you know definitely need to, to, to try to make all efforts to, to try to get the water off your off your field if possible but you know then definitely uh come back in and chances are you're probably going to be experiencing some sort of you know some level of root rot so you know some application of something like corundus or or ritamil or capite or something like that some of your your phosphate type products uh is definitely warranted um, but you know, um, you know, maybe, maybe we'll start drying out a little bit. I don't know. It's, uh, uh, have been looking at some, uh, some blueberries this, uh, this weekend and starting to see a lot of the, uh, the early varieties, a lot of the early Southern hibiscus really starting to move. Um, starting to see a lot of, uh, late pink stage and, and a few open flowers like on Star and O'Neill. Well, O'Neill's, um, um, North Carolina varieties, uh, Star is a, uh, is a Florida variety, but a lot of the Florida varieties and a lot of the Georgia varieties um, on the Southern High Bush are really starting to move. Um, even saw like Climax, which is a rabbit eye, um, yeah, even saw quite a bit of uh, late pink um, blooms on that too. So uh, it's mighty early for, you know, to get that, that kind of movement, but um Unfortunately, with with blueberries, a lot of times once uh, once the, the train starts moving, it's uh, it's you're you're not going to stop. It's it's you know, cold weather will slow it down a little, but but unfortunately, the 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 train is moving now. Yeah, I feel like that's we get these uh, unusually high days of temperature right right about this time every year and that just makes things really uh, escalate quickly same same with peaches um I thought this morning driving in I was like man I feel like last year I might have seen a little more pink starting to show up 
than you know than I'm seeing today and I was like oh that's good everything's kind of staying closed but then as soon as I round the corner I'm at a field and I'm like nope just kidding I just was looking at the wrong variety so it's here it's moving these 70 something degree days are going to kickstart things really quick all right and Dr. Tom Bilbo joined us this morning we appreciate you um we appreciate you taking the time out of your morning to share a little update with us. And again, he's our vegetable and strawberry entomologist. Um, what have you been seeing or what have you been working on? Thanks. Yep. Happy to be on the podcast. Like Zach uh, and everyone else, we um, our projects got started a little late here with the rain. We haven't been able to get into fields, but we have... Um, I have a number of projects starting here right now where we're going to be doing sampling of strawberry fields in clusters of fields in two areas in the low country and in the Midlands. And we're hoping to learn a number of things from this field sampling. Um, we're looking for a number of pests and beneficials. So we're looking at uh, collecting spider mites, documenting spider mite population dynamics in different fields, get a better sense of that and as well as the occurrence of resident predatory mites. We saw a number of those last year around the low country. Actually in all six farms sampled the predatory mites, um, one species in particular, Phytocelis persimilis showed up at all of them, but a little too little too late to actually impact the predatory mite populations in, in all except one field. And we're also have a, we're gonna be looking for cyclamen mites closely this spring. There's a lot of reports throughout the state. So we're looking to collect samples and at least in the two areas that we're going to be sampling to see how prevalent they are and when those symptoms and signs first become apparent. We're also going to be looking for flower thrips and strawberries. And so far in the areas I've been looking at in most parts of South Carolina, thrips have not been um, too, luckily, not too much of an economic pest. And that is probably dependent on where we're seeing the Western flower thrips, a particular species. We didn't see any of those in the, in the low country last year. So we'll see, um, just trying to document the occurrence and distribution of Western flower thrips and strawberries down here. And then also in these strawberry fields, we're going to be picking select fields to release predatory mites in. We want to, I have a goal to optimize the use of predatory mites in small farms. A lot of the predatory mite research in strawberries has been done in the very large monoculture farms of Florida and California. And so those recommendations aren't really applicable or economical to the smaller mixed operations that we have here in the Carolinas. So we're going to be doing some releasing predatory mites for spider mites and seeing, um, you know, looking at an optimal approach that's both effective and, and economical. So that's a lot of what we're doing with the strawberry field sampling. And some of that strawberry field sampling will actually continue over into tomatoes because, you know, a lot of tomato growers can get spider mites in those tomatoes as well. So if we're releasing predatory mites in those strawberry farms where tomatoes also exist later in the season, if the established predatory mites will then move over into tomatoes, that would be the long-term goal where you can embrace the same beneficials across multi multiple crops for improved efficacy and economics. And lastly, the other thing we have going on in the coming weeks is we just planted a collar trial in the ground. We want to look at a diamondback moth. We're interested in the parasitism rate throughout the whole season, there's good data on this from New York, but this has not been done in South Carolina. And so we're seeing how the parasitism rate of these parasitoid wasps is changing throughout the season. 
it appears to be much higher in the fall. So we're just trying to get good data on that and to see what, you know, what species of parasitoid wasps are showing up when and when we can most rely on biocontrol and when we cannot rely on it. So we know when other management tactics are needed. So that's what I got going on pretty much. But as I start getting in the fields, uh, we're going out tomorrow and Thursday. Once we start getting in the fields, I'll have more live updates. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, just out of curiosity, when you're talking about um, smaller fields for mm -hmm. um, these beneficials, like what is it, what is an ideal size for something for using a beneficial like in an outdoor field setting? Yeah, I was with the difference I was drawing between, you know, in Florida, you could have some like thousands of acres of strawberries, nothing but strawberries as far as the eye can see. Um, but it seems like in South Carolina, we might have a lot of farms between five and 50 acres of strawberries. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in the big farms, they have a whole totally different approach. They're, they're trying to release a bunch of predatory mites that will overwhelm the existing spider mites. And they're also, because they have huge acreage, they're going to be, a lot of them actually use drones to release the predators where they drive around with, with trucks and kind of disperse them that way, but they have a lot of acres to cover. So here, the approach that we would be targeting is an extension of work I did in tomatoes in North Carolina that we had good success with, which is if you scout fields and as soon as you see the initial entry points of, sp of spider mites, they invade fields and they're aggregated to begin with, they're clumped. So if you can find those initial clumping spots and then release predators there, you can release way fewer, maybe only you know, a thousand instead of 20,000. Mm. And then that's like basically a seed population mm -hmm. that then will rapidly grow and then become sort of the little predatory mite factory from there, which, and they'll disperse and keep the mites in the rest of the field at bay from ever sort of exceeding um, a treatment threshold. Mm. Well, thanks again. I appreciate you. Um joining in with us this morning um, and we look forward to having you again as the season progresses and uh, and the insects are out and about moving a little more. Oh yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate everybody, um, all the agents joining in and sharing a report with us this morning. Um, just a couple reminders. I feel like I always have to remind you, um, make sure that you, if you're not already subscribed to the SC Grower blog, um, you definitely want to do that so you can get a written report. If you don't want to listen to our beautiful voices every other week on this podcast, you can just read about what we have to say instead. Um, sent straight to your email inbox every Monday, unless something terrible occurs and one of us forgets, but I think we've got a good group working on it now. So hopefully we've got it under control. Uh, also, I'm not sure if anybody else has anything coming up, but we do have a drip irrigation workshop that's going to be at Edisto Rec this Friday, which is the 17th um, from 10 to 3. There's information about that on the blog. Um, so you can check out our upcoming events tab for any other classes um, and workshops that we have coming up as well. So again, thanks for tuning in and we look forward to having you listen next go around. Thanks everybody.